the Holy Gospel according to Mark, the 10th chapter. Some Pharisees came, and to test Jesus, they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus answered them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Well, Moses allowed a man to create a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined, let no one separate. Then in the house, the disciples asked Jesus again about this matter, and he said to them, Whoever divorces one's wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to Jesus in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And Jesus took them up in his arms and laid his hands on them and blessed them. The Gospel of the Lord. I invite you all to be seated. Friends, when I was ordained on March 1st of 2009, it was a snowy day. This was highly unusual for Columbia, South Carolina. It was so unusual that Pastor Bill Iwan, who was my childhood pastor who was preaching my ordination that day, got the laugh he deserved when he said, I always said it would be a cold day in hell before Eric was ordained. (laughs) That day I became Pastor Eric and the pastor of a congregation, but it would take me years to understand what it means to be a pastor, and it would take me years longer to understand what it means to be a reverend. There's a difference between Pastor Eric, I find, and Reverend Wolf. A pastor is a friend and a companion. A reverend is one who is acting out of the authority of the Office of Ministry of Word and Sacrament. I'm now well into my 12th year of life as a reverend and a pastor, and today is only the second or third time in my career that I've written a manuscript for a sermon because it's only these few times that I've felt the, de- the deep need to speak as a reverend rather than as a pastor. I feel the need to speak today out of the office and authority of word and sacrament ministry, and so I write this manuscript today because I need to be precise. Next week, I plan to be back to normal, and Pastor Eric returns. Thanks be to God. There is nothing, nothing more sacred in the kingdom of God than relationship. In today's first reading from Genesis 2, We hear a familiar tale told in a really strange way. The inclusive Bible draws on the tradition of Midrash and Agadah, which are traditions that engage Jewish theological tradition with great authority, but isn't necessarily the majority opinion. In the story, God creates Adama, literally translated creature or dustling from Hebrew, and this is where we get the name Adam. But in this translation, Adam comes a little bit later. Though... Though my Hebrew professor compared it to the word earthling, I prefer to name this post-human or proto-human that God creates dustling, because he was created out of dust. God creates dustling into a solitary existence, alone in the universe, with no other being as their peer. God is with dustling, but God realizes that this is not enough. God can speak everything into existence as well as form it from dust, but it turns out there are two things that God cannot do. First, even God cannot love without vulnerability. And and the trouble that that vulnerability can bring. This makes 
God aware of the needs of the ones that God loves and causes the second thing God cannot do. God cannot have an equal relationship with dustling because creation can never be equal to the creator. It's for this reason that God said, it's not good for dustling to be alone, so I will make a companion. What's wild here is that God doesn't skip to deep sleep. God doesn't skip to the rib. God begins by what I, what I kind of like to describe as tinkering. God begins by creating the animals and asking dustling to name them all. And after all of this, in the same way God forms creation with unique attention and in God's own image from God's own hands, Dustling's companion can only be born from the essence that has been given by God. And so Dustling is made to sleep. God reaches into the creature's side and pulls out the choicest part of God's creature to create the one we call Eve from the Hebrew Hava or Haya, which means to breathe or to give life. We will call the woman breath. Now I'm taking some real poetic license here, as y'all might be able to tell. The difference in this text is a little jarring compared to what we're used to. And this, this poetic license is to help explain why this is a faithful interpretation, despite being a non-standard translation. In this interpretation of the second creation story, a remarkable thing happens. Dustling's essence continues through the creature's original form, ceases to, be, ceases to exist. And there is now a second new creation, male and female. What I like a lot about this translation is that male and female aren't stratified or normalized. They're simply descriptive of the purpose of their creation. Adam, who we will call, now call Red Earth, because Adama is also Red Earth, is brought into life with breath as his partner. And together, Red Earth and breath will tend the garden and populate the earth. And as y'all hear this, raise your hand if you're hearing something new in it that you've never heard before. I know as I wrote this, I was hearing new things, and I've been preaching about this for years now. When Paul was writing his second letter to the Corinthians, by the time he gets to the fifth chapter, he is so worked up about the joy he finds in Christ Jesus that in the Greek he writes a sentence fragment, which is unusual because he usually writes long, run-on sentence, sometimes fragments, but this one is particularly short. Most of the time we hear it rendered as, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation with the proper grammar. But in the Greek, it's more along the lines of, therefore, if, any was, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. Everything old is dead and only the new remains. There are moments when we're stuck, struck by the reality of the change we're facing in our lives. We realize that in the blink of an eye, nothing will ever be the same again. And I can think of one personal example, the moment when fatherhood hit me, when I saw Willoughby's head crown, new creation. As we face shutdowns and mask mandates and what may become a two-year change from life as we knew it. New creation may be less exciting. The old has passed away, and all that's left is this newly born infant of an existence that's so new we don't even know how this world works anymore. It's frustrating and angry-making, and it hurts us because we can't figure out how we can safely gather, sometimes without three changes of venue before it happens. Sometimes we can't even figure out how to be church together because we really sometimes don't even know what that means right now. We dwell in a moment of grief for what we've lost. We also dwell in a moment of hope for what we might become. It's a moment of darkness for not being able to see the road in front of us and in the moments of darkness when we wander in unfamiliar spaces. As I mentioned in my newsletter article, which I'm sure everybody read, right? God provides a pillar of fire by night and a cloud, pillar of cloud by day to lead us around the dangers 
so that we might arrive at the place where we can cross by faith, knowing that the one who has guided us will protect us, just as God led the Israelites to the Red Sea from slavery into freedom by the winding road so they could avoid Pharaoh's army. And so we will be led out of this moment of frustrating unknowingness by the one who is creating us all. And like the Israelites, we have our moments where we grumble along the way. Yet God continues to love us even in our grumbling. And moreover, God commands that we love each other even while we grumble. In today's gospel, we have one of the more challenging texts to preach, an infamous passage about divorce. Jesus responds to the question about divorce by saying that no one should divorce unless there is infidelity. And for generations, this has been wrongly interpreted as a pronouncement of the sanctity of the institution of marriage, causing people to feel shame when marriages end because pastors have engaged in uncareful preaching and interpretation of this passage. But, but, context is everything. I can't name a single time where Jesus says any institution is more important than the people it involves. Not ritual hand-washing, not the Sabbath, and I would wager not even marriage, as important as as it is to all of us. In Jesus' time, men were able to divorce women and not the other way around for any reason they chose without very much hassle at all. Don't like dinner? Don't appreciate a barbed comment? Don't like the way she dresses? Divorce was an easy out, and the man got everything and was able to leave the woman with nothing. And when Jesus said this, it may well have been to point out that marriage is sacred, but I hear it more as a statement that there is no person who deserves to be beggared by another's whim. It isn't simply marriage that's sacred, but it's people who are sacred. Women left destitute by men is the type of thing that I think Jesus would address. And I think this is much more what Jesus was addressing in this passage than the sanctity of any institution. Now, we know the importance God places on relationship already from the story of the trouble God goes to to create red earth and breath for relationship in today's reading from Genesis. It isn't buildings that are sacred, though they have a holy purpose and we love the things we do in them. It isn't pyramids that are sacred, though we use them to represent the depth of faith and mystery, and that's why we make sure we have them out here. It isn't a congregation's history that's sacred, even though it reminds us that who we have been is faithful and important. And who we are is beautiful because of that. In this moment, we are called to be the church that joins who we have been with with who God is calling us to be. The church is living, breathing, and dynamic, beloved of God. This congregation is the body of Christ, and like all bodies, we exist in relationship. And relationships are always evolving. And as my wife, who is sadly homesick this morning, and fortunately we are able to have Willoughby for Sunday school, which makes me very happy. But she likes to say that all living things must evolve because living things die if they cannot adapt and grow and thrive. Our history tells us the story of the faithful who came before us, not so different from the story that generations to come may tell about all of us. We in the church today tell the old, old story by remembering the stories of those who came before us, but not for the preservation of what was. We tell these stories to remind us that those who came before us also faced the challenges of singing new verses of that old, old song that still tells us that old story that new people might join in the refrain 
as we write the verses of our generation that they will sing as they write the verses of their generations to come. The church is the beloved community gathered in this place for word and sacrament brought into God's family through water and word, nourished through community and communion, and sent back out into the world to proclaim the good news to all, that the, to all the world that this exists for them too, especially when they can't bring themselves to believe it. Now this brings me to the reason that Reverend Wolf is here this morning. My calling as a minister of Word and Sacrament is to administer the means of grace, and one of my vows at ordination was to pray for God's people, nourish them with the Word and Sacraments, and lead them by my own example and faithful service and holy will living. We can argue later about how well I do all of that, but I promise I do pray for this congregation and the people in it every day of my life. Also, to give faithful witness in the world through word and deed that God's love might be known in all that I do. I look to the example of Jesus. He could have given an easy answer to the question about divorce and said, well, the law says yes. Instead, Jesus gave the hard answer. COVID is a moment of hard questions and hard answers. We've spent the last year and a half exploring what it is to be the church and what it means to worship and what it means to love our neighbor, what it means to carry with us the nearness of the kingdom of God that calls us to repent and believe the good news like no other generation before, maybe since the plagues of the Middle Ages. This moment is hard. Being the church in this moment is hard. And we're hurting. We feel broken and we're wearied and worried and anxious and angry and I'm as tired of it as you are. And Reverend Wolf is here to say today, St. John is an amazing collection of, with diverse gifts and talents that join the one body of Christ, and we cannot eat our own without devouring the unity in Christ that this body represents. Are we a body where it's okay to yell at each other? Are we a body that accepts it when meetings represent our painful brokenness rather than grace-filled living? Are we a body that talks behind each other's backs? It's true that conflict and rivalries happen in every family. They happen in every congregation. Well, not this one, but like there are other churches down the road, right? <laughs> and within each of us as individuals, it's just human nature. Jesus looked at the disciples who at the time were arguing about who was the greatest among them and said the rulers and leaders of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. Whoever would be greatest must be the least, and whoever would be first must become servant of all, just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. The world will eat us up, but not so with us. This is our respite. This is our community. This is our body as much as it is Christ's body. And that doesn't mean there's not conflict. And... It doesn't mean that we sometimes won't hurt each other, but in this family, we turn toward each other and not away from each other. In this place, we will be gentle with each other. We will speak truth, but with loving kindness. We will be the place that invites people and ideas that are new because we understand that this place belongs to every single person who God calls to be here with us just as much as it belongs to those who have been here for a long time. So we need to decide together that we will live this new creation that made Paul see the joy of new creation and write sentence fragments. We need to decide together to be the place where those who are weary and heavy laden will find their rest. 
we need to decide together that when members of this beloved community hurt so badly that they hurt those around them, part of our love is standing in love to communicate that this is not okay. Communicating that this is not okay can feel harsh, but love demands we do the hard things so that people in this family feel safe and heard and so that the new creation people find with us is a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. Conflict is a normal. Emotions running high is normal. But we, as we confess every Sunday, we own our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. The same way that we confess this together here at St. John, we together confess that when we make the change that costs us our comfort, we honor God. I've told you before that I'll never ask you the easy thing. I'll always ask you the hard thing, and today's not any different than that. The hard thing I ask this morning is that we hold each other, myself included, to the standard of love. That when we're hurt, we say we're hurt. That when we worry, we say we're worried. That when the pastor is a jerk, we tell the pastor that he's being a jerk. When we're careful and speak in love, we live together in more productive ways. This is who we are created to be, love for each other. The relationship so unique that in Genesis 2, God realizes that only we can do it. Friends of Jesus know this. When we do the hard work of learning to be this church, the church, no force in heaven or on earth will stand in the way of the gospel that we preach with every breath in our bodies so that the stories our descendants tell will be worth telling. And as we tell the story of our lives with Jesus at the center, we become the new creation that the world could never expect or hope for, but that only, that, but that only God's presence can bring, and that God has chosen to bring into being through us. Amen.